Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Tori Henderson is a well known speaker, teacher, and coach, helping parents stay sane in the land of crazy. She uses her 20 years of experience in family life education and human development to help caring, overworked parents live their best lives so their kids will too. Tori's a sought-after speaker where she helps parents talk to kids about sex. Tori's developed Time for the Talk, an online at-home sex education class for parents and kids to take together. And I'll have a link on that in the interview page. Tori's goal is to help open up the lines of communication between parents and kids. Tori, hello and welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me, Corinne. Absolutely. So this is a really important subject and I have not had this conversation yet on my show. So I'm really thrilled that not only is this important work, but this is what you do. And um, because a lot of people are uncomfortable about talking to their children about sex, aren't they? Yeah, you know, we're living in a really interesting time where, you know, our kind of generation of parents gets embarrassed about the subject and we don't really know what to say. We may probably didn't get the greatest modeling from our parents about how to be open and comfortable talking about sexuality. And yet our kids are growing up in an, a culture that is just swimming in sexual messages that are coming at them from all angles from the media. And so it's a really interesting time so- to... Where yeah. are where are the kids? Where do you find these kids are learning a lot about sex? Well, you know, I think it used to be, if you can remember back, or I might be dating myself here, that, you know, we when we watch TV, that all the adult programming shows were mm-hmm. on, like, after 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Everything before 8 p.m. you could assume was family-oriented, and there just wasn't a lot of sexual insinuations and things on TV. And if they were, it was later. But now with syndication and, of course, all the channels that TV has, that the shows that would not have been shown (laughs) until late at night are now 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that it's just available to kids, whether it's flipping through the channels or their parents are watching it or whatever. Not only is there more sexual content on TV, but it's available all the time, and it's starting at younger and younger ages really everywhere. It's really like if you watch even like a children's show, they'll have like an eight-year-old who has a boyfriend or a girlfriend or thinks the girl is cute. And that's new. It's a new development. When we were kids, an eight-year-old would have been seen playing ball in the yard. And if you watch like the Disney Channel or some shows on TV, you'll see that kids don't play Mm-hmm. unless they're like three years old, like really, really young. You don't see them just playing a game or playing outside. They're doing grown-up type activities for entertainment. So it's really interesting. Um, you know, I've heard that there used to be that the average age or the age that girls were playing with Barbies was like 12 years old, right? 
And that just doesn't happen. I mean, 12-year-olds aren't playing with Barbies. So that those toys that we were once really, in a sense, innocent, there's a lot of controversy, I realize, with the Barbie. But, you know, playing with dolls, which was once innocent, you don't see 12-year-olds doing it now. So are we just growing up faster? I think, you know, around, well, puberty is starting earlier. That There is enough documented evidence to show that that is happening, most mostly with girls. And so there is a time around 10 years old that I'd say girls start to kind of split off as those who still play and those who no longer play. Mm. (laughs) And it's kind of like they play different things where they might, but they're more like sit around and talk Mm -hmm. instead of actually play. You know, they might talk about the boys they like or they, you know, text each other on phones and, uh, but there is kind of a split off and it is happening at younger ages the average age of puberty is is getting earlier. But I think it's also our culture is just not really encouraging uh, free play mm-hmm. for the sake of play. And mm-hmm. that's part of just being in, in a culture that, you know, emphasizes kind of accomplishment and uh, achievement and competitiveness that we don't value like play as much as we used to. Yeah, because what's going to be the outcome of play? How is that productive, right? Right, which of course, <laughs> I have a very strong feeling about that, which is uh, love and life and your purpose and meaning and joy and fulfillment. And I think all of those things come from play. I think it's one of the most important things we can help our kids find is what feels like play to them, you know. But um, but yeah, it's it's just part of a, of a big trend that's seen um, not just in our homes, not just on TV, but then also just with the access to the internet. I mean, uh-huh. that has really been a change. I've been teaching sex education classes for a long time, almost 20 years. And wow, has it evolved as far as the knowledge that these kids come into, you know, my classes I teach are, and my online classes are for kids like 9 to 12, 9 to 13. And so I've got nine-year-old girls who know about penile dysfunction because they're watching Viagra commercials during the football games, you know, Mm. and they are all the pharmaceutical commercials are giving us quite an education and not, and as well as just the internet being available to where anything, you have a question, you want to know something, you just Google it. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're like that with my kids, but I don't. I never use a dictionary, an encyclopedia. <laughs> I mean, a phone book. I, my kids ask me a question, I'm like, Google it. Go, you know, I don't know, see what it says. So of course, we should be surprised when, you know, they're googling, you know, what does how do gay men have sex? You know, of course, where they're gonna look it up. Oh my goodness! They're naturally curious, and uh, it's part of what they're exposed to, and that's how you find that information. Yeah, I call us Googleizers, right? We have a question, <laughs> we go to Google, and we should have an instant answer, and that should tra- transfer into every aspect of our life, right? Um, yeah. it, do- it doesn't, but 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 Google can help out a lot. And I know for me, who's forty one and coming into cooking, learning how to cook later, um, I keep trying to do the cookbook thing, but it's actually easier for me just to Google, you know, chicken pesto and find a recipe that way and kind of search through than to go have a look through a cookbook. It's just, I, you know, it's a different process for me, but it's a way that I like it. Mm-hmm. It's specific, it's immediate, and mm-hmm. you get exactly what you're looking for. Yep, and you can look through, you know, 10 different ones until it kind of 
is the one that works for you versus, oh, this is what the cookbook said. And now I have to make it, I have to gear it towards that. Right. Um, right. So the internet seems to be the biggest change then in, in this, what our kids' knowledge about sex is what you're saying. Yeah, it's almost you know, kind of the difference between the two. And as far as the parents are still like, oh, you know, I want my kid to stay innocent. And I don't want to tell them about the birds and the bees because, you know, I want them to stay young as, as long as possible. And yet the kids that are growing up, I mean, some, you know, if you're assuming you're not in a bubble or living in a commune or, you know, maybe your kid just watches Little House on the Prairie on VHS tapes once a month, you know? If so, great for you, right? Totally, that's awesome. But most of the kids today are living kind of in the modern world and have access to iPads and iPhones and the internet and in their homes and in their cars and everywhere they go and they're sharing it with their friends. So even if your kids in the bubble and you're very protective of the information they have access to, their friends aren't and they are being exposed to all sorts of things. So I think it's just really important for parents to realize that their kids are getting a sex education. It just might not be the one that we want them to have. And they have lots of access to the information. So I think it's more important than ever for parents to step into the conversation and help kids filter it, help them make sense of it. Because what they're being exposed to through song lyrics or you you got their childhood idols. You got Hannah Montana, this uh-huh. you know girl you totally looked up to and wanted to be like, and now you're seeing her. We saw her on the VMAs, but it was quite appalling and quite oh, sad to me. I just want to quit sending. But um, and these girls are growing up thinking, oh, is that the next step for me? You know, is that how I'm supposed to be like? Is that my role model? Is that what my future is going to look like. So they really need their parents to help them paint a picture of their future (laughs) that isn't maybe Miley Cyrus and um, Hannah Montana and, and isn't, Oh, I don't know, Justin Bieber, you know, now he's, you know, getting into trouble or whatever that they're, there's a difference between real people. I call it real people, sex and media sex. So, so it's important to know they are getting a sex education and so they need us to help them filter the messages that they're getting. Well, because it's really, it is really complicated, right? If you've grown up with, I mean, my daughters, they grew up with Hannah Montana and then to watch what, what Miley Cyrus is doing now, we need to help facilitate that conversation, don't we? Yeah, and they might be disgusted by it, but I think it's, which is great if you hope that they are, <laughs> but I think it's also helpful to say that is not what is normal. Mm-hmm. That's not what we expect for you. And so one of the growing kind of problems, you know, when I started teaching this uh, in sex education, we were really trying to combat the high teen pregnancy rate that we have in our country. We have the highest in the industrialized world. Here in California, we have the highest in the country. <laughs> and so a lot of my work in educating parents and kids on how to talk about stuff and just feel comfortable and relaxed and, and this embarrassing subject, you know, was, was also trying to help lower our teen pregnancy rate. It's kind of in the back of my mind. 
And now it's kind of interesting because the trend is really uh, towards, well, I had an 11-year-old. I was very surprised. So one of my classes know what friends with benefits was. She knew what that meant. She used it in context. And it really surprised me. But that that is the kind of the current trend is to have casual sexual hookups rather than intimate relationships. And, of course, this is not a win-win. I don't think this is a win-win for anybody. I think our our souls hunger for intimate, loving connections with people. And it doesn't have to be sexual. But I think it's good if, as parents, we can help our kids understand that they are worthy of a committed, intimate, loving relationship. And that it's not just, you know, I think a lot of his parents will be like, oh, no sex for you, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my husband will be like, well, after you graduate from the convent, then you can get married, you know. <laughs> like kind of exaggerating it when you're 30 and just like I don't even want to acknowledge the fact that my child will someday become a sexual being. And I think that that kind of does them a disservice because they are picking up so many different messages from the media that it's cool and everybody does it and that it looks a certain way. And on TV, it looks like it's just about physical pleasure. You don't see it. Oh, let's make a baby, you know, Mm -hmm. or uh, I really love and I love you and I want to express my feelings for you. That really it's just a very casual thing when you watch it joked about on television. And so kids need to understand that that's different than what real people experience, which is love and intimacy and caring and commitment and all these other nice things. So I think it's helpful if we can um, kind of paint a picture for them and help them understand that they are worthy of that. So before we go on to what we can do, I, I have a question about the comment that you made about what's happening with our young people these days about these casual hookups, do you know why the sexuals become more casual? Hmm. I think it's part of the bigger picture. You know, if you think about, oh gosh, I don't know, even 10 years ago, if you wanted to hang out with your friends in high school, you had to be with them physically. Mm-hmm. You really had to be in the same room together. When you're in the same room with somebody else and you're having a conversation, it's much more, you have the opportunity for more vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You yeah. might say something embarrassing or stupid and you get immediate feedback. You know, you're like, oh, that was dumb. I could tell by their face. <laughs> or you'd ask them to go to a dance with you. And, um, you know, when you that's a scary thing to do or to ask them to go out on a date or ask for their phone number. And you really get this practice in intimacy because intimacy obviously goes along hand in hand with vulnerability, right? So as soon as you give teenagers an opportunity to hide from vulnerability, they are going to take you up on it. So if you can text somebody when you go to the dance with me, it's a lot less scary, but it also is a step away from having that intimacy. I mean, when, there's nothing more bonding than being embarrassed together with somebody else. <laughs> That's why I love like, the online 
sex education class because parents or kids are sitting together watching it. They're both hiding under the blankets. They're like, oh, my God, what's Tori going to say next? You know? And they're embarrassed and they're giggling and they're like, oh, that's so gross. But they're doing it together. And so it creates this real bond between parents and kids so that kids know they can talk to their parents about anything. And, uh, you know, parents get used to laughing about it and being, you know, comfortable and, and having some really good heart to heart conversations. So I think it's uh, just part of a bigger cultural shift towards everybody. You know, you see all these kids getting together and everybody's on their individual iPhones Mm -hmm. and um, it's just one other way to avoid intimacy. Well, and do you think also the fact that like what you were talking about before of, oh, you can't have sex till you're 30 or, you know, these kind of really harsh black and white concepts of sex is only supposed to be for people who are married and these harsh things. And the kids are kind of rebelling towards that and saying, well, yes, I can have casual sex and this is what other people do. Do you think that may be a contributing factor? Yeah, I think it's confusing. You know, they don't understand if they're getting no messages like you'll, you're never going to do it until marriage or whatever. And then they're seeing a completely different world being exposed to them through movies and television shows. Like I said, even if it's not your house, it's at a sleepover or they're hearing other people talking about it. And um, it's just, it's, it's a very mixed message and it makes them think, okay, either my parents are just completely clueless <laughs> or they're lying to me or, um, they're embarrassed or shamed, and so I shouldn't talk about it with them, mm. you know, because I should be ashamed. Or whatever the interpretation is, what it does is it breaks down the communication. It has the kid say, my parents are not the people I should go to for information on this subject. Because clearly they either get embarrassed or they get awkward or they lie or they don't know. <laughs> they're just mm. ignorant. <laughs> and so it it, it creates... Um, a chasm on a subject matter that I think is really valuable for kids to have their parents um, because who else are you going to talk to? The neighbor, you know, about sex? Like, that's not really appropriate. And it's hard for us because, you know, our parents didn't, I mean, I don't know about you, but my parents did not say anything about, you know, where babies come from and what their values were around sexuality. And they, it was just a subject that was not talked about in my house. And it was very clear that if you brought it up, suddenly the adults in the rooms got very uncomfortable and embarrassed and they, you know, breeze company came on and off went the TV. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> so that's the messages we grew up with. And we, you know, we tend to parent the way we were parented unless we do something deliberately different. And so that's kind of our default. If our parents didn't talk to us, then we don't talk to our kids. So it's really, it's a challenge. Well, so what it sounds like to me is that if you don't have that conversation, you're leaving it up to your child to figure things out with a limited tool set that they have. And so they can make things mean various things versus you helping going and cultivating or, you know, planting seeds and and having discussions and also, you know, finding out what your kids believe. So you can have a guided conversation or you can leave this vast vacuum. And then the yeah, kids and Katy Perry is more than willing to talk to your kids about sex. Mm-hmm. You know, all the the song lyrics, all the TV shows, you know, Big Bang Theory, they'll teach your kids about sex. So 
they're going to get it. <laughs> the question is, you know, with what context and with what values? And, and so if you want your kids to have an alternative viewpoint on the world, you know, that we have to kind of overcome our own embarrassment. I think one of the greatest things you can do as a parent is to just be really authentic with your kids and go, you know what? I listened to Tori. She told me I was supposed to be talking to you about sex, but this embarrasses me. My parents didn't talk to me about this. Whenever I try, I get all flustered or I don't know what to say. <laughs> that when you can own up to that with your kids, I think it's super powerful, especially teenagers, because they have a radar for authenticity and they can spot a fake a mile away. So when you can go, go to your kids and say, even though I'm embarrassed, I want to talk to you about it because it's really important to me that you have the facts that you need and that you know what my thoughts are on this and, and what your dad's and my opinions are, that it's really, um, I'm going to talk about it. So even though I might giggle <laughs> and I might want to hide it in the blanket, we're going to do this together. I think it's a great way to, to approach it with your kids. And at what age should we be having this conversation? Well, <laughs> you know, sex education really could start on the changing table. You know, when they're tiny little babies, we start, we're like, oh, here's your nose, and here's your toes, and here's your belly. But we just kind of avoid the whole diaper region, right? We're like, this is your penis, or this is your vulva. We just don't do that. And so it kind of starts really early that we start not talking about it. But preschoolers, I mean, that's great time because they're so interested in their bodies. They're naked half the day. <laughs> they're potty training. <laughs> they're learning to, you know, bathe themselves and wipe their own butts. It's a very exciting time for sex education. <laughs> so that is a great time. And, and the reason it's especially good is because they are not going to react. To them, it's just science. It's their bodies. It's a matter of fact. It's health. You know, it doesn't have any weird connotations to it. We put weird stuff on it. But they want to know where do babies come from and how do they get out and how come, you know, girls have three holes and boys have two. And, you know, they're very interested in the, the differences in gender. You know, you got the princesses and the superheroes. So starting with preschool, talking about uh, you don't have to say the whole, you know, how babies get made, but you can talk about body parts. You can talk about how babies come out and that it takes a man and a woman to make a baby, you know, looking for other pregnant women to kind of point out what's happening or having your kids, if someone's got a baby, oh, let's go help change the diaper. You know, if you live in a house with all girls, they don't know what a penis looks like, <laughs> you know, so find a little baby who's you need the diaper change and see if your daughters can go help out so they can see it in a casual, relaxed way. I really think that's the best approach. You know, if you don't say anything and then all of a sudden they're nine and you're like, okay, I need to have the talk. It can turn into a big awkward <laughs> in both in mom's mind, the dad's mind, and sometimes in the kids too. But if you can start really casually and matter of factly when they're young and get books and, and, you know, shown pictures. And then I think it turns into just a, a more of a natural discussion and progression as they get older. Well, it sounds like when you can talk about it when they're young, right, the kids, their worthiness isn't tied to it because they don't, they haven't been 
programmed by the media, by any messages about sex or any of that stuff and their worthiness, which a lot of times can be tied, isn't affected. And then the other thing is, is that if you can talk about it without creating shame, right? This is a body part. That is your penis. That's your vagina. It's like talking about your elbow and your earlobe. Like it's the, it has the same amount of energy if you do it when they're young. Whereas we, we can sometimes talk about our ge- uh, genitalia is more from a shame place because it's tied to our worthiness and it's tied to, you know, maybe how we were shamed as children or as teenagers about sex or about our desires, right? Where so we have this kind of programming, but with a kid, they really don't have that. And so that sounds like it's a great time to even talk about, as you said, where do babies come from? And it doesn't mean that we have to go into this huge, uh, crazy conversation, right? But it can be something that's age appropriate. Yeah, the one-time talk, you know, like the big talk, <laughs> isn't as effective as the ongoing conversation because your kids are not going to remember the difference between, you know, ovulation and, you know, ejaculation and erections and all the detail-y words. They're not going to – they're no, but they'll remember who told them and how they felt. So let's say they're six years old. You tell them where babies come from or how their babies are made. The big one parents all avoid, you know, <laughs> like how do they get in there to begin with? You're like, oh, no, we're going there. But so that's usually what parents get really weird about. So let's say you tell your six-year-old or seven-year-old because it comes up in conversation. They might remember. They might not. But they will remember that you were willing to go there with them. Or they're going to remember wow, mom got so bad and just like embarrassed and then she got so uncomfortable and then we never spoke of it again. You know, they'll remember (laughs) that too. Like I never want to make dad feel so awkward. Like I I don't want to do that to him. I don't want to torture him in that way. (laughs) And so it will kind of shut down communication. So it's okay that if your kids ask you a question and you're not prepared to handle it, it's perfectly okay to say, you know what, let me get back to you on that. I want to that's a great question. I'm going to answer it when it's not carpool or, you know, we're not sitting around Thanksgiving dinner at grandma's house or something. But it's, it is important to then follow up with them. You know, remember that question you asked me last week and I was kind of, you know, surprised or thrown off. Well, I really wanted to get back to you on that. And I brought a book with me to help me so I could explain to you and answer your question because I thought it was such a great question, you know, and just really doing it in a way that, makes them feel like you can ask me questions. What you know, any kind of question. You could come to me and I might be you know, I'll get back to you and I will do it with honesty. And, you know, maybe a little embarrassing, but that's okay. <laughs> so Tori, as we're talking, I'm imagining the parent who's listening who's going, Oh, but I didn't do that. And now my yeah. kid is, you know, older, is it too late? There's so there's it's kind of different, right? So before the age of eight, you want to just try to make it as natural, as scientific, as a uh, topic as possible. So you can bring up books, you can try to like bring up the conversation, point out people that are pregnant, you know, talk about things you see in front of you. I mean, a lot of kids are in, you watch Animal Planet and they learn about mating, or they live on a farm and they're like, yeah, I think I get it. <laughs> so before eight, it's just very easy and open. At between 9 and 12, this is what I call your window of opportunity. 
So 9 to 12 is a great time to really open up the lines of communication. So if you haven't told them anything, do it now between 9 and 12. Tell them, you know, I think that you are mature enough to handle this information. Your younger sister isn't ready, but I know that you are ready to handle this. And this is how, you know, new human beings come into the world. You can tell them with, you know, magic. It doesn't have to be, they're going to react as like, that's gross and disgusting and I'm never going to do that. <laughs> that's totally <laughs> developmentally appropriate. <laughs> but you can sell them like when two people are really in love or, you know, when they want to make a baby or, you know, isn't it cool that like we can make other humans? How awesome is that? Right. It's super powerful. And you're in that between nine and 12, puberty is either there or it's very close. If your kid isn't started puberty, their friends are. So it's a great time. You really want to, I think, really before the kid is nine, it's nice for them to know exactly what sex is because between nine and 12, they will hear about it soon. They will hear about it from some other kid on the playground or at sixth grade science camp, <laughs> which I understand is quite the sex educator, those sleepaway camps that the kids do, <laughs> Girl Scout camps, whatever. So they're going to hear about it. And they're going to hear about it from some other kid and it's not going to be factual and it's not going to be presented with the values that you would like. And you want your kid to listen to, you know, Joey spouting off, whatever, your cousin or your neighbor. And you want, your kid to go, oh, I don't have to listen to you. My mom and dad already told me about that. I can get all the information I need at home. So it's really good if you can tell them by nine or earlier kind of how babies are made. So between nine and 12 is a great time because you're talking about puberty, it's, but it's very, it's very, very relevant to them, right? They are either in puberty or their friends are. And so it's, it be, can become more awkward for the kids at that age. So it's best if you can kind of talk about it in the third person. You don't want to put them on the spot. Like, do you notice if you're growing pubic hair? (laughs) (laughs) We don't don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. The goal is to open up communication. And so, you know, we could, have you noticed some of your friends? Are they starting to wear bras or are they starting to grow taller? And, you know, starting to talk about it in the third person. Well, between these ages, it's a normal thing for girls to blah, blah, blah. So try not to put your kids on the spot looking for teachable moments in the media. And, you know, for many years, Britney Spears was a great sex educator and her (laughs) younger sister and brought up all sorts of content for discussion. You know, when you can listen to lyrics to a song together and go, what do you think the messages they're trying to send? And is that appropriate? And starting to, I want to say, especially, let's say you've got a 13 and up and you haven't talked about the birds and the bees and you haven't told them, I would stick a book in their room and then talk to them more, kind of assuming they already know. And you can talk about third person and talk about things in the media and talk about friends at school. You know, are some of your friends starting to have boyfriends and girlfriends? And what do you think of that? Really respect their knowledge. Assume that they know and ask them if they don't, you know, say, if you have any questions, you can ask me, you know, if you ever hear something, you're like, that's weird. Um, but the, the door or window of opportunity kind of closes around 13. You know, your kids are much more open before that to 
to talking with you because they're trying to establish themselves as separate from you, especially, you know, whether it's a, a boy trying to grow into a man, he doesn't want to ask his mommy for questions. He wants to already know the answers. And with the girls trying to be separate her own identity, you know, it's kind of the same thing. So you want to assume that they already know stuff and let them know you're available, but start talking about your values. You know, so many times, this is another really funny phenomenon, Corinne. So never before in the history of the world, or I want to say maybe in any other culture around the globe, I don't know, we are very unique here in the United States in that we do not share values with our parents. Like we probably don't parent the same way our parents did Mm -hmm. in some ways, some ways maybe same. We parent differently than our siblings. We have different values than our neighbors. But it's really unusual that our kids can grow up in a culture where there are not a lot of shared values. So oftentimes, even partners in parenting might have different values around when should our kids have sex for the first time? Should they wait till marriage? Should they wait till college? Should, if they're in love, is it okay? That, and husbands and wives haven't really talked about it with each other very often, you know? So that's usually my first homework assignment for parents is to go home and talk to your partner in parenting and say, what do we think? Mm-hmm. Because then we can send a unified message to our kids around what our values are. And hopefully they can have a choice so that the values that are coming from the media, they don't feel like that's their only option. Once you start the conversation and you start realizing that this is a bigger, this isn't just about the birds and the bees. So this is really about what do we value and what's our priority and what's our, um, you know, what do we want for our kids' future? Because mm-hmm. we get to kind of tell them what, what we see for them. You know, they can totally choose their own path. (laughs) They might not see the same thing, but at least let's give them an alternative choice to Miley Cyrus. (laughs) (laughs) We're just bagging on all the pop stars, aren't we? Um, I know. But but it's it's relevant because the listeners can really understand because there is concern. And then if you're giving them, okay, instead of griping about, we're not griping about these people. We're saying this is the reality that we face as parents. And what can we do? And so for you, you're talking about, okay, we need to figure out first, what do we value? What does my partner value? How do we have a united message when we go talk to our child? You know, and then in your cultivating conversations, instead of saying, it's horrible, stay away, which is a mixed message that we tell our kids, right? And instead of this black and white, it's we're having conversations. And what you said that is so key is it's not just the one-time talk. It's, it sounds like it's a series of conversations and they don't have to be that serious sit down. Let's now have this talk. It can be in the flow of life. It's really ideal if you can make it casual and, you know, like sometimes driving just in the car, just the two of you, you know, is a great opportunity when it's not a carpool maybe, but um, usually doing a shared activity, especially with boys. They do not like to sit down and have a talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can wash the car and talk. You can walk the dog and talk. But 
all men and boys really hate that. Let's just sit down and talk about stuff. That's a girl thing to do. So respecting that. You know, a lot of this is just about respecting your body, respecting that it was built exactly the way it was supposed to be built for these awesome divine reasons, you know, that you have these feelings inside for a good reason and just helping, I think, us all respect our our bodies and how they're made and and then, you know, kind of why we're here and just, just to hold it in a, a higher context for our kids rather than, you know, I'm here to provide physical pleasure to men or something, mm-hmm. you know, which is, is how the media can, can sometimes, messages that girls can pick up from the media. For like the 13 and over group, there's now some new programming that I've been noticing um, for kids and um, where it, they're more typical kind of teenage issues being brought up. And what do you think about using that? Like, as you talk about talking in the third person, but as sitting down and watching these shows with your kids and saying, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about the choices that she made? So therefore, they're not being put on the spot per se about them, mm-hmm. but you can start creating a conversation with your child and gathering this is what they think, right? This is yeah, what they believe. I think it's so important, especially for the teenagers. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know that 9 to 12-year-olds are still, they're so, you know, and this is the self-focus of the age. is really normal, of course. <laughs> they see the whole world through their own, you know, how it affects me. Um, but uh, but I, think as, I think it's really important for 13 and up those kids, as they get older, to learn to critically analyze messages from the media. Ooh, you know, what yeah. is the message they're sending? You know, what are they trying to sell you <laughs> by showing this? You know, and then, and that's a part of what I think is uh, just a really important life skill for kids growing up in a modern society to have, mm-hmm. to not just be blind, gullible consumers. And of course, that requires sitting down together and watching a show together that, you know, parents might not want to watch because, you know, quality may or may not be there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, looking for those teachable moments, standing in line at the grocery store and you're looking at like headlines on People Magazine or whatever. And oh, gosh, when I look at that, it just makes me feel like there's something wrong with my body. You know, every article is like, lose weight, look better. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel worse than when I before I stood in line there. And just kind of talking out loud sometimes and and helping your kids see that too. That like, yeah, look, everything's you're wrong, you're bad, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> and yet that's what sells magazines. Why do you think people buy them? You know, and just really trying to become more of a critical consumer, I think is is a a great life skill. And the other thing that's important is you as a parent may be that critical consumer but you're not sharing kind of the process that goes on in your mind and your kid is then therefore not knowing that there's this process that's going on. And so they're just absorbing it, absorbing this information without understanding that there is this process of questioning in it, right? Yeah. Like I've gotten multiple requests from schools, you know, can you come teach our kids about sex ed? And I say, not without the parents there. <laughs> it is, I, I don't just run classes for the kids because I think the the whole value in what I do is that the parents are, you know, kind of learning how to talk about it as well because their parents didn't and they don't know what to say and how much information to give and, you know, how to 
be cool. We call it like coolness training. Like, okay, let's all be really, you know, let's embarrass our children, be real dorky. How does that feel? <laughs> now let's try to be cool. Is that better? <laughs> because the kids can rank us on this coolness scale. Because they really just want parents to be like relaxed and casual. But when when kids are polled, even if they act embarrassed and they're like, oh my God, mom, don't talk about this. This is so gross. When they actually ask them privately, they really do want their parents' opinions. They really want to know what they think, and they want to hear it from them, even though they act like they don't. So, you know, that brings me up to, it sounds like that when we don't come at them and say, this is the, you know, this is the rule, this is the way, but when we have a conversation, our teenagers are going to be more receptive to our opinions. When it's not that it's my way or the highway, but here are my opinions. Here are the things that I value. Here are my concerns about maybe early sex. Yeah. Two things come to my mind for that. One is, yes, I think discussion and dialogue are always good. But the other thing is sometimes kids need an out. They need to be able to tell their friends or whoever, oh, my God, I could never do that. My mom would kill me. Mm-hmm. there's no way my dad's going to let me do whatever you're suggesting right now. I would get so busted. So sometimes they need us to draw the line and say, you know, this is our expectations of you. You know, when you're in high school, let's use, say like, I do not expect you to have sex <laughs> nor oral sex while in high school. And it takes the pressure off of them. You know, and they're like, oh, my gosh, it's my mom dad's. Like, they are the ones who are so strict or whatever. So sometimes that can be a good thing. Kids today are getting so many messages to the alternative. They kind of need uh, they need to draw a strict line. And even if they disobey it, at least they had another voice in their head to listen to. Mm-hmm. So it really still is their choice, right? If my parents say, no sex until marriage... And the media says, yeah, do it whenever you want, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. Then at least they still really are getting a choice. They're still hearing two different messages. And then their friends will have offer a third. So I, I think there can be value. It, but I just, you know, I, I used to teach teen moms. <laughs> and I used to ask them, like, what messages did your parents say to you about it? And they were just like, don't do it ever. Like that was the pretty much the common denominator was don't do it ever. And then, Oh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> it's like, hmm, maybe there's a theme there rather. So it's kind of, I think we just need to say, we know that you're going to get messages to the contrary. You're going to hear people talking about, you know, oral sex or friends with benefits or hooking up. This is a lot of the words that they use. It's very, uh, vague, you know, it's not dating, boyfriend, girlfriend, what do we start going steady, right? That there isn't this, these, it's all, they keep it very vague these days. Cause they, I think they want it for that reason. Um, going together. What does that mean? Nobody really knows. <laughs> 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 and so they're going to hear about this. And, and this is like, so what I told, Tell my kids, because I, I obviously really had to think about it and talk to my husband about it. And what I decided is that you are not ready for, to tell my kids, is that you are not ready for sex until you can have an open discussion 
with your potential partner about the consequences of it. Okay, so the consequences of sexual intercourse could be, what do we do if we, you know, get a sexually transmitted disease? How are we going to prevent that? What if pregnancy occurs? What if we use birth control and we still get pregnant? Then what would we do? Do we agree on how we would handle the consequences? What are we going to do if we break up or when we break up or whatever, right? Are we going to be together forever? (laughs) So kind of help saying when you are mature enough and your relationship is mature enough, to handle that kind of conversation, to me, that shows a level of emotional intimacy it, as well as kind of a level of commitment that says, you know, you're probably ready to handle it. So that's kind of what I came up with. If you can talk to your partner about it, because that's really what is not happening, you know, mm-hmm. phases, but there isn't a lot of emotional intimacy in relationships. And I think that's, I think it's sad. I think especially women and and um, I think young women are missing out because well, even though they can try to act like they can handle these casual hookups, I think it's not not necessarily so good for them. Well, and you talked earlier about how you know we have lost this practice of how to communicate, how to have conversation, and so in a way, when we as parents step into these courageous shoes to have these conversations, that may scare us. Where aren't we creating kind of like a, 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 a playground where, or a practice field where the kids can learn that, hey, I can be with somebody and have these difficult conversations. My mom is embarrassed. I'm embarrassed, but we still work through it and I'm starting to get some stuff. Like, isn't that a great practice opportunity for them as they go into intimate relationships in their own lives? It's, it's modeling. It's mm-hmm. modeling for them. And then they get to experience the bond and how much closer they feel with their parent after like going through the program, through the class. And they can, you know, watch some commercial together and giggle mommy, <laughs> you know, which is what they, you know, usually the end result of this is like, they want to share it with their parent and, you know, parents feel braver and they feel proud of themselves, you know? And so then kids can see, Hey, I can be embarrassed, but then like a good result comes from it and it makes it worthwhile. It makes the kids braver to have to be, I think, you know, just create more emotional intimacy, which is a good thing, I think, in our world. So, yeah, absolutely. I have this little side story. So the other night, my daughter and I, she's 12, were doing some stuff and there was uh, this video playing in the background and she was scrapbooking and I was doing some stuff and, and she was listening to these people talk about their families and about being cool. And my daughter goes, she just all of a sudden looks at me and goes, I'm so glad I'm not a part of that family. <laughs> I'm like, well, why is that? She goes, mom, we're not interested in being cool. We're just weird. That's just who we are. (laughs) Weird is cool. Weird is a new cool. And we do. We kind of celebrate, you know, flying our freak flag or being who we are and being authentic. And that's really rooted. And she just gave me some information about what she believes that wasn't a planned conversation, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a sit down. And that's when when you talk about this stuff, that's how I'm thinking about, like, how do we, how as the parents, can we incorporate it and be ready for those conversations? 
right? And really own who we are and what's important to us and that it can be okay. Like for, I think I would have been petrified at her age to be considered weird, right? I want to be one of the cool kids. And here I have this child who is so embracing the fact that we're weird. (laughs) And how cool is that? Yeah, I think it's really great. And, you know, of course, we're moms today are very busy. (laughs) Uh, uh, This problem with a little bit of a super mom culture and super mom is getting tired. So to add one more thing, like, okay, now you have to have this open dialogue with your kid about sex that's ongoing and never, and we don't want to add more pressure on, right? So sometimes in the real world, we do have to plan these talks, but to plan it to be more of a casual five minute ongoing thing is a lot easier than like this one big talk, you know, Mm -hmm. but you could start by saying, you could walk through the kitchen and say, did you know it takes a man and a woman to make a baby? (laughs) And just leave it hanging in the air and see what they say. You know, just starting with dropping these little things in there, right? Or I kind of accidentally left a a book in my car called The Body Book. It doesn't have sexual intercourse in there, but it's got naked people pictures. And my daughter was nine, and she used to be very, like, embarrassed. You know, she's like, oh, my God, and she'd kind of get silly about it. And Boy, it took about, I don't know, two or three car rides with her friends of of finding the book in the car when we're carpooling and then giggling. And suddenly she's like really popular and everybody wants to ride in her car because she's got the book of naked people in it. (laughs) And suddenly she's like got all this. She discovered that it's powerful to be the, the holder of information that nobody else will talk about. And so she now she's loves it and loves to talk about it and wants to ask questions and is much more open over something that was really just an accident, you know, of leaving the book in the car. So it can be really simple, you know, sticking the book in the bathroom or they read it and say, Hey, did you see that book? I put in there pretty funny pictures, huh? You know, it's just starting to show them like you have a sense of humor around it. You can be weird and dorky as well as cool. <laughs> and, you know, I had this one girl write to me after she took the class with her mom and she says, you know, now that I can talk to my mom about sex, I can talk to her about anything. That oh. there's something about, because it's so not talked about and it's so private and seems so, you know, freaky. Like, oh my God, it's just crazy that that's how babies are made, right? <laughs> to a 10-year-old's brain, they're like, gross. But when you know your parent is willing to go there with you, it's like, wow, she really means it. Like, I can talk to her about, you know, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, you know, feeling depressed at school or being worried about failing math or, you know, it just seems to open up the dialogue for kids so that they feel like they've got someone on their side who gets it and is available. That That is really powerful. That is really powerful. Um, so Tori, as we go on, what are a couple of takeaways for parents today? And I want to note with that comment that that young girl had mentioned is that because she was able to, her mom was willing to be vulnerable and take that courage to be vulnerable and have conversations with her, right? She's cultivated this relationship where now her daughter can go and talk with her mom, you know, because isn't there a lot of sex or shame around sex? And because her mom was willing to talk about it and not get swept up in the shame about it, right? 
and just and be open to having these conversations. She was open, able to create a safe place for her daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's really about, you know, who sat next to me when I learned about it and I heard these crazy words and how did I feel while I was there? So even if you feel embarrassed, there's still a bonding that can happen when you're both in it together, you know? So I think it is, um, it's a really surprisingly wonderful thing <laughs> to do with your kids. I don't know that my parents would, would think of it in that way. You know, we just tried to like get over it and be done with it as soon as possible, but that it can really be an opportunity to create, especially as your kids going through puberty, you know, your role as parent changes from, you know, kind of the keeper of the knowledge and wisdom and rules, right? You can do this, you can't do that. This is, you know, in our family, we do it this way. When a kid is going through adolescence, they really need more of a coach, less of a parent, more of a coach, more someone to kind of just support, encourage, and guide. And so having this conversation about sex is kind of the bridge, I think, of, so okay, this is what we think, these are our rules, but I'm here for you if you have a different opinion or if you have something that's bothering you, you know, you're seeing something at school. The problem is the, you know, the kids tend to meet at this very low common denominator. <laughs> around middle school as far as what's appropriate to talk about. And um, boys especially can be pretty crass. And just if no one's ever taught them that sex can be talked about in a respectful way, then they will just meet at this low common denominator because they're curious and they want to talk about it and they nobody's really showed them how to do it in a respectful way. So it it's a conversation that will come up and regardless, and that kids are getting a sex sex education, whether you say anything to them or not. So I think it is good to just realize that it can be a very bonding experience and and kind of help you uh, transition into raising an adolescent and and that that can be a really kind of fun and cool bonding experience. It doesn't have to be like these horrible teen years, you know. Um, But the other thing is that, you know, talking to your kids about sex, Really, that's the, the basics, you know, the anatomy and physiology. That's just science. You know, I had one mom write to me. She says, oh, Tori, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if my 11-year-old's ready for this. I'm freaking out. Help me. <laughs> and I wrote back to her. I said, you will never be ready for this. This is a hard <laughs> thing to be ready for, <laughs> you know. But the question isn't, that's not the best question to ask because it's just not going to happen. What you want to ask yourself is, do I want my child to come to me when they have questions, concerns, problems later on? That sex education is about health, about science, it's about self-respect and respecting others. It's about acknowledging that we are like amazing, beautiful creatures. And I think a lot of times it's about formulating who we're going to be in our future. The number one way to prevent teen pregnancies is to have plans and aspirations for the future. So I think incorporating that, what do you, what are your values? What would you like to accomplish in your lifetime? You know, really starting to dream and scheme about what do you see 
as far as like a life you'd like to live and, and really help them kind of loosen up their dreams to kids today can get so caught up and I have to get A's so I can go to, you know, high school and go to good college and then graduate. And like, that's the end. (laughs) Well, that's not it for everybody. And, and what do you want and helping them find their own kind of inner voice and their picture of the future. And maybe they want to become a parent someday. So kind of ask them, well, how old would you like to be? How many kids would you like to have? You know, what would you have liked to have accomplished in your life before that happens? It, I'm finding kids today are having a harder and harder time dreaming. They really used to be much more, I want to travel. I want to have a horse. I want to play in the NBA. And now they're like, I want to graduate and, like, um, go to college and then, like, have a job. Like, oh, really? What kind of job? What kind of career? I don't know. You know, they're kind of got, they kind of are in the system and they forgot about, you know, helping them try to figure out who they are and what their future can look like and help them get really excited about that. It's really, that's what sex education is. It's all about. And it's just using this as an opportunity to, to bring parents and kids closer together. I love that. Well, Tori, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you. I have a lot of passion for the subject. I can tell. <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> uh, that is great. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Tori Henderson, and she has an online program called Time for the Talk, which will be on my interview page. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. She is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so 